continuing our summer series on 2 Corinthians. And today we're doing 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, 13 through 18. And before I get to the scripture, I want to make sure you understand that um, as we're doing this study on 2 Corinthians, we're going through the summer. I really hope that you guys that are here on a regular basis take an opportunity to actually read this book a little bit while I'm preaching through it. It's a pretty amazing book. And I think, I think it's the most underread, underappreciated epistle that Paul wrote, in my opinion. People always talk, 1 Corinthians gets all the glory, you know, but its younger brother, 2 Corinthians, seems like it, you know, nobody really talks about that one. So just make sure you spend some time in that. All right, so let's look at the passage today. Um, that says 7 through 11, but that's wrong. It's 13 to 18. So since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all, for all your sakes, so that grace extends to more and more people, that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I don't know if he was trying to write a rap there, but it worked. He could, you could hear the beatbox in the back. You know, Timothy was probably beatboxing when he wrote that. I don't know. But so, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. So like we do in the garden, we do the history of the passage. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Then the theology. What about God? What did he do? Why did he do it? And then we can figure out the devotional. But what about me? What am I supposed to do? And why and how do I do it? So the history is a little bit of review for you. Uh, but I want to make sure you understand that nobody, I can't, other than Jesus, it's hard for me to figure out anyone in the New Testament more qualified to talk about affliction of the church than Paul. And I was reading some commentaries on this idea of Paul's affliction, and John Piper points out that Paul's affliction was in two areas. He was suffering significant affliction in two areas. One was his ailing body. He had some physical deformities that were limiting him. Headaches, some people think. Some people think it was failing eyesight. We're not sure. Some chronic pain. But there was things going on in Paul's life because of all his travels and his harsh missionary schedule. He did not have a luxurious leisurely life. He's extremely busy traveling. And in, that, in those days, you understand, travel was like hard. You know, you're either on a donkey, which bounces all, you got back problems, you're walking, whatever. The other area of affliction he suffered was from evil people. People who hated him, people who hated the gospel he preached. And so Paul's affliction was significant because of his stand for the gospel and also his stand on authority that he had as an apostle. Remember, those are the two things that people were attacking the most, the gospel and his authority. And 2 Corinthians was written to defend both of those. And the church at Corinth had actually been afflicted as well, especially once they had repented. See, remember what was going on is they were being drawn away by Judaizers and other people who would come in and say, you can't preach that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You're not allowed to do that. 
They would do these other things, and then they would begin to persecute them. And then there were pagans who would come in and say, if you're really going to be in our town, you're going to have to worship the way we do. You're going to have to worship false gods. You're going to have to worship in these immoral ways that we have in these little temples that we have set up. And once the Corinthians had repented of that, and they had returned back to Paul's teaching, and they had restored their loyalty to Paul, they as well had been subject to difficult persecution and affliction. So there was nobody more qualified to talk about it, and there was no group of people more qualified to hear about it than Paul and the Corinthians. And there was nobody more qualified to discuss and teach people how to actually thrive in affliction than Paul. Because in the midst of this affliction, the physical ailments and the social uh, facing of people who are evil, who want to destroy him and destroy the church that he started, in the face of all that, Paul thrives. And Paul makes references to affliction in this chapter in many different ways. For the, so let me explain some of the benefits of affliction that Paul discusses. There are some benefits. The first one is the affliction creates this intimacy and community. And we see that when he says in the passage you read, since we have the same faith, since we have the same spirit, since we're together, since we have this common bond in Jesus Christ... And what Paul explains is the affliction has made us love each other more in our commonality. So in other words, the things that we have in common have become even more important to us since we have both faced affliction because of that commonality. And so affliction, Paul explains, created intimacy and community between him and the Corinthians and between the Corinthians and each other. This affliction had drawn them closer together. And then he talks about another benefit of affliction. He talks about this fountain of grace. And I love this. He says, because it is for your sakes that grace extends. And what he's saying is this. In the midst of our affliction, we are experiencing benefits and manifestations of grace. And again, again, what is grace? I was talking to somebody last night. I said, can you really... Define grace, and a lot of times people don't really, well, I think, well, we, you know, the concept, but what is the actual definition? It means favor that you don't deserve. Favor that you don't deserve. And what happens in affliction, and Paul teaches, is that as affliction arises, we get more favor that we don't deserve. And so one of the benefits is a fountain of grace. It is, all, it is all for your sake, the affliction, so that grace extends. The Greek word means that grace continues to expand. And it has this idea of like an ocean. It's kind of like an ocean word where the grace comes in and before it leaves, another wave comes over the top of it and then another over the top of it and the tide starts coming in. So what happens is the tides of grace rise during affliction. Affliction is like the full moon for the tide of grace. I just made that up on the spot. <laughs> Boom. It wasn't written down or nothing. I hope nobody ever said it before me. All right, so the next, the next benefit of affliction is thankfulness. <clears throat> Look what he says. Finishes off, as grace extends, may increase thanksgiving. 
It's a miraculous thing that happens in the midst of affliction, right? You're being afflicted. The tides of grace rise. And as the tides of grace rise, it drives your heart to thankfulness. And all of a sudden, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of affliction, you are more thankful than you were when things were going well. Isn't that amazing? And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. <coughs> then the last benefit of affliction is there is this is focus on eternity. Nothing will give you one foot in eternity like affliction. Verses 17 to 18. For this light momentary affliction, and remember, he wasn't talking about light momentary affliction like, oh, my tax bill's too high. <sighs> my transmission's going out. That's not the kind of affliction he was calling light. They're trying to kill us. They're trying to throw us in prison. They want to brutally murder us. And he calls it light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It can't compare to the affliction. We look not on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So affliction gives you a focus on eternity. And that's what Paul does for the history of this passage. That's what he's doing. And that's the backdrop. They're going through this stuff and he explains, here's why the affliction is good for us, Corinthians. He doesn't say, here's why it's good for you. He says, us. Okay. Theology. Affliction turned on its ear. God takes what is meant to be destructive and he makes it constructive. I have a couple of verses I'm going to read to you before we get into it. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12. This is Paul. Same book. This is, this is one of the greatest passages, I think, in the New Testament. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You see what he does in this? He uses opposites. We're this, but not that. We're this, but not that. Or this, but that, this and that. And he gives this, this is what they want to have happen, but this is what is taking place. And what happens is God, through his grace and power and mercy, takes affliction and flips it. 2 Corinthians 1, 6-7. If we are afflicted, this is all in the same book. You get this? So he's building this theology of affliction. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Here's what he's saying. When we're having a hard time, it makes you better. When you're having a hard time, it makes us better. He flips it on its ear. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul describes that affliction is a team issue. So how does God exactly flip affliction? What, is the, what are the actual steps that God takes to flip affliction? 
on its ear. First of all, the resurrection overshadows affliction. In verse 14, he talks about this, does he not? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. That's the first thing he does. The resurrection power overshadows affliction. The second thing that God does, he extends grace during affliction. We see that in verse 15. He says, so that grace will extend to you. And when it does, we become more thankful. Psalm 25, 16 to 18, I love this. This is a great example of what happens with grace during affliction. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Forgiveness and redemption is part of grace. So God's resurrection overpowers affliction. God's grace extends during affliction. And then God's spirit gives us eyes for heaven. We saw that in verse 16 to 18, right? We don't look on the things which we see, but the things we don't see. Because the things which we see are temporary, but the things we don't see are eternal. And the things that we see, the hard things, are actually working together to make heaven even better. And so what happens in affliction, how God flips affliction on its ear in our lives is the resurrection, the grace, which results in thankfulness, and then eyes for heaven. Nothing will give you a longing for home more than when things are going bad here. Okay, devotional. How do I give you the instruction and resources you need to thrive during your affliction? Look at another verse, 2 Corinthians 6. We're going, this is kind of like a little jogging uh, time through 2 Corinthians talking about this. But as the servants of God, we show we are sincere in everything we do by great endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities. Oh, by the way, in beatings. Oh, and imprisonments. Oh, by the way, in riots and in hard labor. Oh, by the way, some nights we can't sleep. Oh, by the way, sometimes we don't know what we're going to eat next. Okay, I'm just going to stop. Do you see what Paul just did? He listed the descriptions of those light afflictions he was talking about earlier. This light affliction, which includes affliction and hardships, calamities. What are calamities? Like earthquakes, I guess? Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech. In other words, not compromising the gospel. And the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters by the world, yet we are true. We are treated as unknown, yet we are well known. And we're treated as dying, but behold, we live. And we're treated as punished, yet we're not killed. 
We're treated as sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing somehow. We're treated as poor, yet we're making many people rich with the glories of God. As if we have nothing, yet we, as children of God, actually possess everything. (laughs) Do you see how God takes affliction and turns it on its ear? So how can you thrive during your affliction? There are these fountains of grace that I want to share with you during affliction that are the secret, if you will. And when I read these, some of you are going to think, okay, I've really got to get my act together so that I'm ready for affliction. Rest easy. I'm not asking you to become this tremendously spiritually disciplined person to thrive during affliction. Let's look at the fountains of grace. First one is God's word. Right? God's word is a huge fountain of grace during affliction because within God's inspired, authoritative word, we find the keys to understanding how to be connected to heavenly dad. It's not through religion. It's through the work of Christ on the cross. So God's word is a fountain of grace during affliction. The next fountain of grace, oh, I love this one. It's God's people. In the midst of affliction, the people who mean the most to us are those who share. What did Paul say? Who share in our sufferings and our comfort. The fountain of God's word, the fountain of God's people with grace flowing out. There's another fountain that I can tell you from personal experience will help you thrive during affliction. And it's God's purpose. By that I mean kingdom advancement. By the way, this does not mean kingdom comfort. Do you know the difference? This is what the American church is good at. The American church is fantastic at kingdom comfort, isn't it? The American church is really good at finding ways to distract us from our afflictions. The American church is really good at making everybody comfortable, getting the right chairs, having the right music, having the right air conditioning temperature, sometimes in here, sometimes not. (laughs) James, are you listening? But do you see the point? For you to have a fountain of grace connected to the kingdom, it has to be about you still being committed to it advancing. Not saying, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and be comfortable in the kingdom. If you make yourself comfortable, you will not thrive during your affliction. So those are the fountains of grace. Does this even seem possible? I mean, do you have confidence That you could do this in bad times, that you could just focus on God's word and focus on God's people and focus on God's advancing kingdom during your affliction. Do you feel like you could do it? I don't, and I'm a pastor. I don't, and I've been to seminary. I don't, and I read all the good books. Okay, well, I start reading all the good books. Let me just clarify that. I don't finish many of them. Guys, it's not about determination or discipline. You don't thrive in affliction because somehow you are really able to buckle down. You don't thrive in affliction because somehow you're able to summon within yourselves some sort of inner strength or spiritual discipline or some mythical mindset. I hate the one that a lot of churches preach, especially some TV preachers, about positive mental attitude, positive thinking, 
pretending. You know what positive thinking is? You're going to make it through if you just have a positive mindset. You know what that is? That's pretending affliction doesn't exist. Does that sound like what Paul's teaching? Paul didn't say, just ignore the affliction. Don't worry about the beatings, the riots, the sleepless nights. Don't worry about that. Just think about the good things. Is that what Paul says? No. He says, we're in the middle of this garbage and we are thriving. See, the positive, the positive attitude just ignores reality. Positive thinking is actually, and this is for you guys that feel like, you know, I'm struggle with depression or whatever. Let me tell you something. Positive thinking is a myth. It's a gimmick. It's a mind trick. And it always ends in bitterness and disappointment, guilt, failure. Does that sound like thriving to you? When you rely upon positive thinking to get you through affliction, it's a sign that grace is absent. Did you hear me? It's a sign that grace is absent. Let me tell you something. For me personally, I would rather survive on grace and accept the realities of life as part of God's plan than pretend that getting through the realities of life have something to do with me just keeping the right positive mental attitude. Guys, let me tell you, it's about grace. Thriving in affliction is because you are receiving grace through these fountains of grace. The ability to tap into these grace fountains, which is the word, his people, and his purpose. The ability to tap into these great fountains during affliction is miraculous. It's supernatural. It's a sign that God is at work in your heart and life. Two examples come to my mind. The first one is, some of you might have read the story about this, the Brumby family. Uh, actually, they're friends of Jordan who was leading worship for us today. And, and you guys maybe read the story about the father who was at the shooting range. Tragic accident. They're in affliction. But the testimony that I hear is they are thriving. Isn't that right, Jordan? They are, th- how do you thrive when you have an accident that takes your son away like that? How do you do that? Is it because he's disciplined? Nope. Is it because he's got a positive mental attitude? Nope. It's because God has super, super, just, he's just worked an incredible miracle in this guy's life. And it kind of, Makes me pause a minute. I kind of stumble over my words because the other example, obviously, is when we lost our daughter, Sarah. I think I shared this story about three months ago, but I remember a friend of mine calling me about a month after she died. And he said, Joe, honestly, I just really, I'm really, I'm not saying how you do I really want to know how are you doing. And I remember exactly what I said. I said, David, I'm wounded. I am sad. I'm heartbroken, but I am thriving. And I meant that. Guys, I can't explain it to you. I can't give you my four steps to secret success and thriving when you lose a child. I can't do it. All I know is this. In the midst of my affliction, my heart was inexplicably drawn to Scripture. My passion 
was inexplicably drawn to my brothers and sisters in Christ around me. I leaned on them in ways that I never thought was possible. Emotionally, spiritually, financially. It was... They were such a fountain of grace for me. And then I remember this insatiable desire in the midst of our grief to leave New York and come back here and start the Nightlife Center. And so I start this most incredible group of I have this incredible team, this incredible group of young people that I'm with every week, and I just recently turned it over to my team now, and they're kind of running it on a day-to-day basis, and I think about that, and I think back, this thing was birthed in the midst of horrible affliction. Why? Because I was thriving. Because God had supernaturally given me this passion to make sure that I was tapping into that fountain of grace, which is kingdom advancement. Look, I am confident. I don't want this to sound arrogant, so please don't take it this way. I am confident that God resides in my heart and in my life. You know why? Because he manifests this grace in my affliction. That's why. Because of how my spirit man, which was God birthed, not because of some decision that I made, God chose to give me life, Because somehow my spirit man has responded with ridiculous resilience and ridiculous endurance every time I have faced affliction. Even as the affliction is causing my outward man to perish daily and my earthly plans for happiness and contentment and success are sent crumbling And the reason that I thrive in affliction is because God works a miracle every time. And if Christ resides in your heart when you face it, he will do so for you because God never fails. This is why we study the theological application of Scripture because that's the one thing that doesn't change. I have some quotes for you. This is the last slide for the sermon. So here's the first quote. From the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. This guy's great. If you haven't ever read some of his sermons, do it. You'll become very dissatisfied with me. (laughs) The Lord, if you're not already, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our heart upon the black horse of affliction. Wow. And you can insert grace there too because mercy is part of grace. The Lord's grace, the Lord's mercy often rides the door of our heart upon the black horse of affliction. There's another one from a guy named Matthew Henry. Anybody ever heard of him? He's really old. If we have through grace an interest in him who is the fountain. Remember I talked about the fountains of grace? I found this quote after that, by the way. Not before it. If we have, through grace, an interest in him who is the fountain, we may rejoice in him when the streams of temporary mercies are dried up. That's straight from 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. 
When life is temporarily rough, we have fountains of grace that overcome the streams of temporal mercies. You can and will thrive in affliction. Paul said, I have confidence you'll thrive in affliction because he knew God was at work in your heart. Let's stand and let's sing this song.